Welcome to Radio Free Murktown, a podcast focusing on and funded by the gaming community at ExplorersUnlimited.com. More than just another play-by-post website, Explorers Unlimited is one of the world's largest online communities of Palladium Books fans who are taking part in a single epic storyline in each dimension, within which all player characters can interact. Explorers Unlimited, where the only thing missing from the greatest adventures ever imagined is you. And now here's the host of Radio Free Murktown, Lloyd Ritchie. Welcome to Radio Free Murktown number 57. I am Lloyd, your host, as always, otherwise known as Augur and Jezebel on EU, uh, and of course on Shadows Unlimited and uh, Savage Rifts as well, though I'm not too active on those sites. Um, and I have with us today uh, Todd and James, and we're going to be discussing two kind of boutique uh, campaign settings in the Palladium uh, Megaverse. And uh, gentlemen, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Todd. I'm Dodds Riki, and I run the Atlantis game on EU. I currently don't have any characters, so yay me. I am James. I play Tuan Jim in Mars, Murdoch in Templar, RJ in Frontiersman, and Analoy in The Girls. And he's a prospective uh, Dead Rain GM, re- putting that hat back on perhaps in the near future. Uh, having once worn it, uh, but we'll get to that um, momentarily. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any new, technically, any new uh, subscribers uh, to give shout-outs to, but I do have 47 returning subscribers, and I'm not saying patrons for a particular reason. Uh, in the last um, month or two, I have transitioned off of Patreon, and I've moved to Subscribestar and straight to PayPal subscriptions. Uh, PayPal uh, subscriptions are preferred, of course, because those are there's less middleman, and so there's less like overhead. Subscribestar is a little, a little. Uh, they they like their fingers in the pie a little bit, uh, even more than Patreon. Uh, no uh, finagling with the censorship, so so that's nice. Um, however, uh, I we're down to. 47 from a peak of fake 79 or in the high 70s and uh, probably an average of around 60 to 65. So we need to get back some of our subscribers uh, and um, get them back onto the, uh, onto, onto the support train to help us uh, keep the lights on for the podcast and the three websites. And of course this happens right after I start up a new website. And uh, I'm trying to get it off the ground, which would be Shadows Unlimited. Uh, see previous episodes of Radio Free Markdown. Uh, but uh, we're going to start talking about uh, some of these boutique uh, d- dimensional settings in the Palladium Megaverse. And we're going to start off with one I know virtually nothing about. Uh, it's called Nightbane. And I got some. Uh, I got Todd on to discuss this since this is one of his uh, favorite settings. And I got some questions for him. And I just want to start off with... Uh, with a real basic one, Todd, uh, how many books are there covering this dimension slash game setting? And uh, what, are they, what do each of them cover? Um, okay, there's seven books. There's the main book, which all the dimensions have. Then there's World Book One, which is Beyond the Shadows. And it covers the Spook Squad, which is one of the factions, the Astral Plane, this thing called the Dream Stream, which is like the astral plane, but in Dreamland, and a little bit of new magic. Um, 
World Book 2 is The Nightlands, and it covers The Nightlands, which is kind of an alternate dimension of Earth. Uh, Book 3 is Through the Glass Darkly, and it deals with spellcasting and the different types of mages in Nightbane. Book 4 is called Shadows of Light, and it introduces a new species and talks about Pittsburgh in Nightbane. Book five is the Nightbane Survival Guide, which is kind of a, this is what Nightbane are and has some new stuff for Nightbane. And it's kind of interesting. And Dark Designs is the newest book and it covers more stuff for the Nightbane themselves, which is like 90% of the book. And it has the only Q&A that Palladium has ever put out for Nightbane. James, you got a, you got a question for him? No. Okay, I got I got one because uh, the only thing I know about this setting is like the uh, the the because I I like that as with everything Palladium I love their setting content I hate their rules and stuff right so uh, I've read the the I don't know what five or seven page uh, kind of short story that is the description of Dark Day and loved that thought that was just fantastic glorious what an interesting idea and uh you know every alex jones fan out there would be like yes this is perfect you know it's just great because it's a big conspiracy theory basically uh so i really like that and that's about all i know about it but can you give me a broad brush overview of the canonical setting and the inciting incident which leads to adventure of the inciting incident being dark day uh Yeah, okay, so it all starts basically with Dark Day, which is this 24-hour period where there is no light from the heavens, no sun, no moon, no stars, even satellite pictures of the Earth show the Earth as being completely black, and after that, weird things start happening, you know, people start seeing monsters, people start disappearing, uh, and like you said, it's like this giant conspiracy. Um, the only catch is, is that the conspiracy is really worse than what the average person thinks because the powers that be have all, for the most part, been replaced with these demonic invaders called the Night Lords and their minions. And that stems, that's the basic premise of everything. Everybody who's not on the Night Lord's side is basically either fighting against them or a sheep. And that's where the Nightbane come in. They are kind of like uh, the Earth antibodies for the night for the Night Lords, as far as the game setting is concerned. The Night Lords appeared all of a sudden. There are thousands of Nightbane. Where before that, there were uh, maybe a hundred on the entire planet. Okay, so what brings the Nightbane about, and what are the Nightbane? Uh, that's just it. Nobody knows what the Nightbane come from. I mean, even Palladium has not given us an answer to that one, but. Before Dark Day, like I said, there were almost no Nightbane. After Dark Day, there are thousands of them. And a Nightbane is essentially someone who looks human, but has this alternate monstrous form. Very few of them are what you would call pretty. Most of them look like they came out of a B-grade horror movie, uh, you know, maybe a uh, Ridley Scott movie. Those, uh, oh God, I'm trying to remember that other horror movie director, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Does all these road crazy creature designs? Okay. Okay. 
but that that is basically what a nightbane is. There's no clear answer in the books. They're just people who can turn into monsters that have supernatural strength, the oddball magic power, and the ability to really put a hurt on anything that irritates them. Okay. And so it's like a, uh, so the, the conflict itself is basically like, uh, well, the, 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 the status quo, the powers that be have been subverted and the Nightbane are basically like counter revolutionaries. Yeah. In a lot of ways, they are, they are fighting an impossible uphill battle against the governments of the world, monsters that outstrip them by far in power. It's, it's crazy, but that's, that's, that's the part that makes it a bit of a horror setting is that, you know, everything's dark, everything's grim, you're outnumbered, you're outgunned, you're, you're, you're just at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of what's stacked against you. But it's also got that heroic side in that Nightbane are, in a very twisted sort of way, a whole lot like a superhero. They've got their, you know, they've got their normal everyday, I'm a human, I walk around, and then when stuff gets real, they can turn into this giant monstrous form with supernatural strength, magic powers, and an innate ability to just fight. So, so it's basically like superheroes counter-revolutionaries who, when they take on their alter-ego form, you know, unlike Clark Kent taking off his glasses and <gasps> magically he's Superman, uh, they become like something out of a Clive Barker film. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, James, your turn. Uh, pick his brain. Uh, I'm I'm going to absorb some of that. Oh, sorry. I have to press the button. Uh, let's see. What would I want to know? And thank God I can edit. Yes, that's the only reason why. But anyway, I really haven't had too much experience with this. I knew about Dark Day and the Morphuses, uh, and I heard some of the terms before, but I haven't really done anything with this setting, so I'm not even quite sure what to ask. Um, so basically, they're underground heroes fighting a government that's been subverted by the Night Lords. Um, what setting information has been provided by the books? What What is the the usual locale? What is the difference between the normal world and the Nightlands? Um, okay, that's sort of two different questions. The Nightlands are the easy one, and the Nightlands are an alternate Earth, basically. It, it's, it's this other plane of existence where the Night Lords are from, and it's got no sunlight, but you can still somehow magically see there. Um, and it has the equivalent of cities where Earth would have cities. I mean, it's patterned almost exactly like Earth, just it's mostly desert, and it's very dark. Um, and that's where the Night Lords come from. And the the actual setting itself is basically Earth, where someone evil has been in control for five years who wants to use humanity as slave labor, play toys, and some of them just want to wipe humanity out. Um, so they the only setting itself that they've part of the setting that they've given a lot of information about is LA, New York, and Pittsburgh. And those are in varying degrees and varying books. They they kind of give the GM enough tools to set it anywhere on earth that they want. 
although most of the material focuses on the United States. Go figure. Well, of course. Uh, is there a, a definite leader, or are there different factions among the Night Lords? Uh, yeah. Uh, like any group of bad guys, there is one guy that's theoretically at the top. He's named King Moloch, and he is the driving force behind Dark Day and the invasion of Earth. And he has a bunch of Night Lords that answer to him, but they don't all get along. They kind of all have different goals and some of them do what they're told. Some of them don't. And some of them are very far off the reservation. Now are the heroes simply humans that have been powered up in some manner or are they, uh, are they humans that have been powered up in some manner or are they manifested by whatever entity is trying to fight the dark Lord? The yeah, the dark Lords. Um, by the books, as best as they ever say, the Nightbane are their own unique race. They are, they are distinctly not human, even though they do have a human form, the facade, but they are, they are not humans. They can interbreed with humans apparently, but they just, they're not humans. Um, and they have some allies that are also not really humans, but for the most part, the Nightbane are kind of like their own little unique thing. It, it's very weird for Palladium that they have not ever specified what the Nightbane are, um, other than they're a separate species, but that's all they've really told us in, let's see, Nightbane came out originally in 95 or 96, so 25 years. They have never answered the question of exactly what a nightbane is or where they come from. Oh, that's genius. Shit. Well, that's just going to, I mean, in a way, that's kind of liberating. It's like, eh, make it up, GMs. But it's also, you know, a lot of those people who want answers, so, uh, canonical answers, are going to look at that as a cop-out, too. Yeah, it, it is kind of a cop-out. I, I definitely fall into that. It's a cop-out camp, although as a GM, I have taken a lot of liberties with that in the past because there is no canonical answer, which means whatever I decide can be the truth, which can be fun in certain types of games. I mean, not every Nightbane wonders where they came from, but in a game with a group of Nightbane that kind of have that question lurking in their back of the minds of what am I, where do I come from? Uh, it, it can be fun to kind of play with that and not have a definitive answer. So you can string them along, send them around the world looking for clues buried in ancient ruins all, the whole time while they're having to deal with the Night Lords who want to exterminate them. It's great. Yeah, uh, that brings me to my next question, which is going to be kind of like, uh, okay, so what kind of it, it, I mean, it sounds like it, it, it would lend itself primarily to being like a paramilitary kind of uh, campaign setting um, where you're, you know, I mean, if the, if the government was the bad guys and the, the heroes were fighting against it, you know, it's like Winter Soldier, right? Um, is, is that basically the kind of uh, campaign setting that usually takes place? Um, it can, uh, they have some groups that work. They have some factions in the game. The Nightbane are split up for the most part into factions. One of them is called the resistance and it is patterned a lot off like the French resistance of world war two with the whole cell structure. And their main goal 
is to kick the Night Lords off the planet and maybe even go back to their home dimension and kill them. Um, and, and that's their focus. And any game that's dealing with the resistance primarily is going to kind of feel like a paramilitary campaign. Same thing with this other faction called Spook Squad that's made up of all the all the government agencies and military spooks and, and, and all of that that are left over from the pre-takeover to U.S. government who all banded together and were like, ooh, monster's in charge. No, that's not good. Um, and they also kind of have that whole spy movie resist, you know, survivalist fighting, fighting back against the odds sort of thing going for them. But then you have a group like the Seekers, who are an ancient magical organization whose primary thing is seeking out knowledge. And they may or may not have that whole you know, paramilitary vibe, because for the most part, they're researchers, archaeologists, magicians. They'll fight when they have to or to defend knowledge, but they don't exactly go looking to pick a fight with the Night Lords. Um, so it, it, a lot of it really depends on what the party is oriented towards. You know, what the characters are involved in in the game is going to dictate a lot of what the game is like. It's kind of similar to Riss in that way. There's a lot of different styles that you could actually run and still stay within what's canon for Nightbane. Okay. Um, and I was just, man, I just had a, a thought and then it just vanished on me. Uh, Having to do oh yeah 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 uh, so okay the, so the night lords are basically running the show on Earth now but I assume they keep this on the down low they're not just clearly obviously in the open running the show it's so they've subverted it right it's like not the whole populace doesn't understand that evil aliens from a parallel dimension have taken over right. Oh, no, it, it, it's about like if you started going around in modern day America saying that the Illuminati are running everything and that we're just sheep. People would look at you, they would laugh, and they would move on. The average person on the planet has no clue whatsoever what's actually going on. The Night Lords run everything through minions or their avatars, which look completely human. Um so, and they have shapeshifters, they have doppelgangers, which are these weird residents of the Nightlands that look exactly like a human being from Earth, have all the same memories, but isn't actually that person. So people that they feel are important, that they want to have loyal to them, they just kill off and have the doppelganger take their place. So, yeah, it's like the worst conspiracy theory ever that you could imagine, except it's real. Okay, so and now since this is a subversion, they're not going to expose themselves uh, in the open like, hey, uh, here's a, a monster in the middle of downtown Detroit, you know, to kill these guys who are themselves monsters who are they don't they won't expose themselves like that. Right. Everything tries to maintain kind of like the status quo appearance and fight in the shadows where the public can't see them. Is that about right? Yeah, and I mean, they go so far that there is, in canon, a TV show that is run by one of the Night Lords called Nightbane that features monsters fighting against alien invaders in the U.S. I mean, they made a TV show out of it 
literally just to provide some extra cover so they can keep the lid on things because people just be thinking, oh, that's somebody cosplaying something from that weird TV show. Huh. Good propaganda. Or, yeah, that Cretan thinks that, you know, this is really happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they did that in the Stargate episode at one point in time as well. Ah, uh, they might have. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool. They Palladium, for once, put a lot of thought into how a global conspiracy to take over the planet would have to work if it was done by alien monsters. It isn't just this massive invasion where they flood the Earth with troops and conquer it. They they slowly crept in, and they're just every little bit by little bit, every election, every. Everything that goes on, they're just trying to slowly expand themselves until they control everything. No more, no more Nightbane. All the humans are nice, good little sheep doing whatever the Night Lords want them to do. And, and they're in total control. Yeah. That's what the Night Lords want. And the oblivious humans who are in the military and police and everything else are doing what the, you know, the aliens have, that have taken over the government are telling them to do. Yeah, and the ones that don't toe the party line get fired, accidentally shot on the job, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And, I mean, in the fiction, in in the canon, the the Night Lords actually went so far as to create their own government agency that is essentially like the modern Homeland Security – and disbanded all of the, like the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DEA, they disbanded all that and folded it into this new organization called the, uh, damn, now I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's the NSB, the National Security Bureau. Um, and literally they fought up something like Homeland Security five or six years before 9-11. It was a little creepy if you ask me after 9-11 happened and Homeland Security came around. Okay. So, okay. So that all kind of, that all kind of makes sense, but this, but how you describe it also tells me that they haven't totally consolidated all power. They're still there. They got their tentacles in and they have power, but it's not universal, and they're still working at that. Is that about right? Yeah. I mean, they've got the majority of the power. Like in the U.S., they've probably got 80 85% of the power. In some other countries where things like rights and civil liberties aren't a thing, they've got 100% total control. But in places like the U.S., Europe, it's a little bit harder to just come in and make totalitarian laws and take away everybody's guns and, and say that these are the new rules, you follow them or you die. You, you can't exactly do that in the U.S. easily. That's why they took over the government, so they can pass laws that restrict freedoms and and slowly make it to where people don't have the freedoms they used to and get afraid to actually speak up against anything negative that happens. That's another big part of what goes on in Nightbane is that, you know, it, it makes the people that aren't pawns of the Night Lord and aren't sheep, they're very counterculture. They they are like, hey, we have a clue and no one believes us, but we know the truth and we're going to go fight for it. Yeah, this is perfect fodder for alex jones <laughs> this is his rpg <laughs> okay so uh, yeah that sounds uh that sounds pretty interesting um all righty so um 
I guess we'll uh, transition now unless we have any other uh, questions about Nightbane for Todd. No, that's a good point to transition. All right. Um, I think it's uh, a little bit of the shoe on the other foot now. Uh, Dead Rain is up. Uh, Todd, pick our brains, sir. Okay. Uh, all I know about Deadbane is that there's zombies. Is, is this like, I don't know, World War Z, you know, zombie apocalypse from hell? Or is this more Resident Evil? Zombie apocalypse starts off small and slowly spreads everywhere. Uh, well, the there's like a, <laughs> there's actually like seven different, because uh, this is all the, uh, like their version of Dark Day, uh, there isn't a single day. Obviously, uh, it's a it's a period of transition. But there's because you're in a basically post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, what's true isn't known really. Uh, so there's like seven popular rumors, uh, ranging from all kinds of ridiculous absurdities to a conspiracy theory uh, involving a death cult. And a cancer treatment drug, and I mean, there's there's all kinds of those, and they are not crystal clear as to hey, this is the true one. So GMs get to kind of pick that, uh, but the end result is uh, human beings are surviving, living human beings are surviving in pockets, in safe havens, in uh, small communities, and struggling uh, bands of scavengers and wanderers trying to survive. Uh, most of the most people have died, and so the it is the planet is a graveyard uh, by and large. Uh, and so th- that's the just hugely broad brush uh, setting is zombie Earth. Wow. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> that's actually kind of cool. I mean, I, I like I said, I knew there were zombies, but that's about it. Um, so the humans are. More the oh god, there was this show called Z Nation once upon a time on Sci-Fi where they had little survivors, you know, basically banding about, or The Walking Dead actually, probably more popular. Um, and, and so that's kind of the basis of the, or that's a good analogy for the setting is that it's just pockets of humans, and the whole world is just gone. The world as we know it no longer exists. That is correct. Yeah, it's been overrun by whatever the the factor was. It happened worldwide and has gone. So if you're human, you're still human. Much like uh, Left for Dead, there are specialty zombies that have different characteristics rather than just the regular. Uh, all of them being, you know, just as the specific, you know, unspecific sloucher animated dead. Yeah, if you think of a walking, the Walking Dead or Z Nation or whatever like that, right? You have uh, basically all the zombies are basically the same. They're just dead people who shamble and try to kill people. And very broad strokes, that's true in Dead Rain. But there's such a diversity of type as well as just some really, I mean, for the most part, the vast majority are slouchers, which are just like out of Walking Dead and everything. But they also differentiate them as according to kind of their their physical status as it were like uh, some, some, uh, you know, when some people die, I mean, a big dude who dies is going to come back as a, what's known as a juggernaut. It's just bigger. So stronger. And so more, you know, kind of potentially lethal, maybe a little slower too. 
then you know your lean guys maybe they were uh maybe they ended up becoming fast attack zombies you know your natural athletes um maybe they did that uh some went cannibalistic so they will actually eat the flesh of uh of the living whereas most will just beat you to death because they are like ppe vampires so they get they feel rejuvenated and have an instinctual uh desire to kill because that's how ppe explodes right uh so they get more nourishment that way otherwise they go dormant after a while and so you're you know uh if you have like if you have a, a, someone breaking into a school and it's been months since anyone's been at that school all the zombies in there are going to be dormant meaning they're not they look like they're just corpses and then they will they will detect you as you come by and they will start to move because uh, they conserve energy. They hibernate like, like animals. And the uh, zombies also see the PPE, like a, a, like yeah, a heat you're signature like a big, based yeah. off of PPE. Yeah, you're like so a, a big incandescent bulb of life energy to them. In the night. In the daytime, it's subdued somewhat. But yeah, it's the way they express it. There are specialty zombies in uh, Z Nation, though. Just an FYI. Oh, I have to say I've never seen. Uh, but yeah, and there's a there's a number of books uh, for covering Dead Rain too. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I they have like what seven or eight books. I know they put a new one out recently. Um, I keep hearing you guys talk about it in chat, and that that actually makes me curious. Do the books just? I mean, is are the books just? Hey, these are more types of zombies, or do they actually describe different things? Different? Do they do they alter the setting in any major ways with the source books? Um, well, you know, there, there's eight books total uh, at present. I think they're probably done, but who knows? Um, so the core book presents the situation and the base classes and everything else, just like every core book in every RPG. Uh, the first source book is uh, Civilization Gone which is generally just, you would think this was errata or additional content that didn't get packed into the first book because it's basically just like some counter types, some human resources, some NPC baddies, some tables. I mean, it's just, it's like snippets of stuff and uh, it, it doesn't provide much. Uh, Dark Places is more like, uh, which is number the second book, that covers more like the human enemy, uh, death cults and stuff like that. Because uh, in Dead Rain, I mean, j- just like in like The Walking Dead, uh, the zombies are more of an environmental hazard. Like you're aware of them. You know they're there. They're a hostile factor that you have to account for. But you have to be aware of the ones that can think. I, there are a couple of t- zombie types that actually uh are semi-conscious and so can think and use tools uh but the real danger is of course humans uh there are you know bad people out there too still living uh like flesh peddlers i.e slavers uh all kinds of uh, uh other stuff too uh death cults and crazy shit like that as well as just you know retro savages and uh, all kinds of stuff like that uh and so dark places goes into a lot of that and so Adding to the human element, that uh, Dark Places is a good book for that. Um, uh, the third book, Endless Dead, uh, that covers uh, lots of new zombie types. Uh, what, 
my there's a lot of weird ones and a lot of niche ones that aren't that cool. Uh, but one of my favorites is the walking graveyard or I think it's or the walking grave or something like that. Uh, it's basically an amalgam of a bunch of corpses. Like, say, there was a mass grave and the corpses just kind of melted together. And then, yeah, they rose as one. And it's a giant mass of dead bodies that is animated. And it's terrifying. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and it also goes into some new OCCs and stu- stuff. Endless Dead is actually a pretty terrific source book. It's got a bunch of good stuff uh, for players. And everything typically, source material-wise, tends to be told from the perspective of uh, Brad Ashley, this road reaper dude, uh, who's basically like a biker from hell who's killed zombies. Okay, that's kind of cool. So, so it, it really is kind of like a lot of the the zombie settings that you see in movies or TV shows, where the zombies are like you said, they're an environmental hazard. They're there. If you're stupid, they're gonna kill you. But the real threat is other humans. It's not a bunch of communities singing kumbaya and sitting around the campfire roasting marshmallows with each other. Even in an apocalypse, humanity hasn't gotten to that point, right? Correct. Yeah. It's a fight for resources. Awesome. Uh, I, uh, I, I, uh, okay. That actually sounds that, you know, you guys make me kind of want to play in dead rain. Now that sounds a lot of fun. Yeah. The, uh, the, actually the fourth book, uh, fear the reaper, which I mean, who doesn't like that? Coining it off a of blue Easter cult song. Um, it's basically all told from the, from the position of, uh, from the perspective of Brad Ashley. And it's all about the reapers, and uh, how they fight death cults and, you know, kill zombies. But there's literally, you know, billions of zombies on Earth. So that can't be the focus, right? I mean, clearing them out is one good thing. I mean, that's always a good thing. But it's like, you got to pick your battles. They're just, they're not, almost numberless, right? Well, the human bad guys, they're not. <laughs> you know, that might be a fight you can win. I mean, you might eventually, after some generations take out the dead and return life to earth. But that's going to, I mean, that's a real big long haul job, right? Getting rid of this death cult that's running Cincinnati. That's more manageable. Okay, cool. So how I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase this. So, so how scarce are resources in this game? I mean, I know I live in Texas. I, I live in a, major metro in Texas. We've got something like 7 million people living in the greater metro area. I know if 99% of the population was wiped out, I would have enough guns and ammo to fight a war for the next decade. Um, do they do they kind of account for this in the books, or is it just GM fiat, whatever, however the GM views resources? I mean, what is the, the canon answer for that? Player encumbrance, or character encumbrance. You have to be able to carry what you got and then hold what you have against other humans. So, I mean, it's there. It's available, but can you get to it? Can you keep it once you have it? It it falls to those. Yeah, and then there's, of course, the when are you placing the campaign? In the middle of the start of this? Or two months after? Or a year after? Because then every this scarcity is going to vary a lot. And it's going to very according to what too like ammo start gonna start getting scarce after a year uh of shooting and everything but what about food 
that's going to be even more scarce. A month in, ha, that none of that stuff is going to be a worry. It's going to be Twinkies and Doritos for everybody and shoot till you till your gun, you know, melts. But a year in, everything's going to be a little more scarce, isn't it? Okay, so by that answer, I'm assuming there's no canon start date for the campaign. There's, it's like, this is what has happened, this is what will be, and you can pick any time in this wonderful timeline to start things. It's not like Rift, where they really kick things off at, what is it, 109 post-apocalypse after the Coalition made a calendar? It, it, in Dead Rain, it's just... The GM kind of picks a time when they want to start, however many months since the apocalypse happened, and it goes from there? I think it's written from like a year after or something close to that, uh, like the Brad Ashley narratives and everything. I think they're written as in not terribly distant into the future, but certainly not any time real close to it. Do you, do you remember more precisely, It's, it's mainly it, – I, I can't remember if there's a specific date, but it's – Definitely after the governments have fallen and people have been on their own for a short time. But we've started campaigns from, you know, from the get go, you know, the day after things got weird. And, you know, there's seven people holed up in a hotel room. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so canonically, um, oh, well, if, if you go to source book five, that probably has more your canon answer. That's uh, graveyard earth. That's basically just, Here's the state of the world and tons of adventure. So it's kind of like an adventure guide. Uh, so there's um, – it's just adventure material basically in there. Uh, I mean there's like survival tips and stuff like that and uh, there's some safe haven descriptions and stuff like that and some NPC types um, to help you out um, as a GM. And yeah, it's basically uh, just a, a giant world book. It's literally about the whole world. So it's like a world book. Um so that covers that, but it's mostly up to the GM. Like, I mean, like it is with anything, uh, when you want to start it. Cause I mean, like you could play a, uh, I mean, we have enough com uh, information about the, about Rift's earth that you could play a, like the rise of Joseph, Pro Joseph Prosec campaign. You could do that like a, a 99 PA or you could, and you can play chaos earth, which is basically the fall of earth, right? Uh, the, the, the coming of the rifts. You could play that. That's just a timeline fun kind of game because NEMA becomes the coalition eventually, <laughs> you know, what's left of NEMA in the Midwest. So there's that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, m most of that's up to the, uh, up to the, up to the, up to the jam, how to, how he wants to do it. And in coordination with the players, we know what they want to play. Okay, cool. So, uh, every Palladium game has OCCs, and I mean, I know, like, Rifts has everything from, hi, I'm a puny mortal, all the way up to, haha, I am God. Um, does, I mean, I'm assuming Dead Rain caps the power level at a lot less than I am God, um, but... Uh, on the scale of things, you know, is it all, I am puny mortal, I am trying to survive hell, or do they have classes, OCCs, that are military grunts, survivalists, specialists in surviving this stuff, and weird things that exist post-apocalypse because the apocalypse happened? Yes to all that. Uh, most everybody is a, uh, I mean, every, almost everybody is a human, and fully human, and is 
basically just a human with skills and knowledge of a variety of types. Uh, your standard survivor OCC uh, is literally just a human and a survivor with old world skills that maybe or maybe not be useful in the new world. Yeah, uh, they're created much like uh, with a uh, MOS. It's a standard survivor, human, base skills, and then you pick like what your a profession field was. What they were, yeah. yeah. And then you get into the more specialty stuff like the Reapers, and then the military, and wheelmen, and uh, what he was saying, mostly human, the half dead. Yeah, the half living are the weird ones. They're kind of the munchkin because uh, you're basically a zombie. But you've retained your consciousness and your humanity, and so you're like a, a freak. Uh, they also have zombies called mock zombies that are that think they're still alive but aren't and will fucking turn on you and kill you. Uh, but those those are basically like Decepticons, right? <laughs> uh, you have uh, but the but the half living are literally they're they're living they're the living dead, but they're conscious, they're mortal ish and you know they still have a conscience and everything and you can interact with them and they're not so foregone physically that they're like disgusting and the disease waiting to happen right but they're the more munchkiny uh, end of the spectrum uh, much like the reapers are because they start off with the skills and the knowledge that are they're very combat oriented and badass uh, they're they're on the high end they're like the, a, reap, a road reaper is basically the equivalent of uh, having a glitter boy in riffs. Uh, they're, you know, that's as badass as you can get pretty much in, uh, in, in the game. Kind of like uh, Woody Harrelson's character in Zombieland. Bingo. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, I, he, I definitely liked his character in Zombieland. Hell, I liked Zombieland. I got to watch Double Tap. I keep telling myself I'm going to watch it and I don't. Um, Okay, so they they cover a good spectrum. They got sounds like they got something that'll suit most of the types of players. I mean, I know I fall into the Munchkin kind, so if I ever play, yay! I know to look for Reaper or Half Living. Thanks, guys. Um, do do I'm, just because of how the movies tend to be. Every time I think of a zombie setting, I basically think TPK waiting to happen. Does Dead Rain avoid that, or does it embrace it? <laughs> no. It, it happens. That can happen. Uh, it, here's the difference, though. Like, when you uh, watch Walking Dead or whatever, uh, you, uh, you see them go up to the fence. and The zombies are stupid, right? And they just plunge a screwdriver or a machete or whatever in, through the eye, and they kill the zombie. It's dead. Yeah, the zombies in Dead Rain are fucking hard to kill. So one zombie is a danger, but the zombies in Dead Rain don't act like zombies in the movies. A zombie in Dead Rain, when it sees prey, it's going to shuffle towards it and it will start to moan. And the loud zombie moan is like a lion roar in that it can be heard by zombies up to a mile away. And so what happens then? All the zombies start to converge on that location. So so it literally is a TPK waiting to happen every single time you encounter a zombie. Keep them quiet, yeah. kill them fast. Or my favorite battle cry, run away! Yeah, you kill them quick, and you scoot, 
and you have a you have a, ch- you have a chance of staying alive. Uh, you act stupid. You try to stand your ground when you don't have favorable ground. You're fucking waiting to die. You're just setting yourself up because it's going to happen. They're going to ma- swarm you, and there's no way a human being can withstand the literal supernaturally strong dead who have natural armor ratings and can only be killed when you've destroyed their brain. Okay, so this sounds like a setting where the axiom I learned from Shadowrun when facing ghouls, it sounds like it really applies. I don't have to outrun them, I just have to outrun you. Does that apply in the game, or is it... I mean, I know that's not very party-friendly, but I mean... It's not party-friendly, but that's true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, When we had a Roll20 campaign going for Dead Rain for... I think it like over a year. Um, like like James said, his favorite uh, battle cry was "Run away." Hey, that old man lived through a lot more than some of those other characters did. Yeah, and and he was one of the tougher of them. Like he was a you know grouchy old fisherman with some fighting skills. Uh, but yeah, you uh, you try to stand your ground toe to toe with more than one zombie, you're just trying to get yourself in unliving. Okay, so it rewards smart gameplay. Pick your battles, choose your battlefields. If you can, try to just avoid the fight entirely, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah, I mean, if, hey, you have a 7-Eleven. You're pretty sure there's some foodstuffs in there. And, you know, we're in Texas. Maybe there's a, a, a gas-and-go uh, alcohol liquor store right next to it uh, that's attached to an, a gun shop. This looks like a goddamn juicy prime target. You can get yourself uh, some some Slurpee syrup for back at the safe haven to make the kids happy. You can get some ammo, and maybe you can get a couple jerry cans of petrol if they haven't already been, you know, gobbled up by previous uh, survivors. But you see, there's about a dozen zombies down there. How do you approach it? Because if 12 zombies converge on you, you're all fucking dead. You're just fucking dead. Unless you've got no way you 12 or more them. player characters that are fighters. Yeah, and there's the thing. Uh, usually, in a, in a campaign, you're not playing a bunch of Reapers. You're people, and maybe there's a couple among you who are real good fighters, like soldiers or, Reaper, or Reapers, or maybe a scrounger who's kind of got some fighting skills but really knows where shit is. Yeah, and there are whole OCCs based on just knowing where and how to get stuff. Yeah, the the PCs are, it's definitely a skill-based game, whether it's fighting or finding or driving or fixing. That's that's how you determine. Much like uh, if you look at the new Frontiersman, where each character represents a specific type, fills a certain slot. That's kind of the way the Dead Rain uh, parties are assembled. Yeah, sometimes... And, Otherwise, you know, on my one-shots, I just throw them in as a bunch of survivors and uh, see what happens. <laughs> I had a survivor who happened to be the MMA-type fighter, wrestler kind of guy. So, big guy. Oh, yeah. Could I hold his him. own. He went into a shop, and there was a zombie in there, and he took it out, you know, with uh, melee weapons before it could get the zombie mode off and all that. But you put in some someone in there, or even E kid character which they do have rules for those as well and they're not going to be able to do the same thing more than likely in the scenario that lloyd just set up you'd want to draw them away and either loop around or while 
one part of the group is trying to draw the 12 zombies away. Once they get going, you have the other, you know, three characters or whatever run in and get what they need when all the zombies are gone. But yeah, you don't want to usually go into the, okay, let's go kill some zombies mode. So, so this is really not like a lot of Palladium's other games where there is such a thing as we can just win by volume of fire and superior firepower and our awesomeness. That is, uh, that is not a dead rain thing at all, is no. it? We've had zombies survive when the shotgun was placed to their head. Uh, you're you're the, kidding, right? No, yep. the amount of damage was insufficient to kill the zombie. Yeah, the uh, like I said, zombies are hard to kill, and they have a natural armor rating of 14. So you can shoot all day long. If you don't roll a 15 or higher, you don't even harm them. It doesn't even harm it. It's just it's just bullets going into meat. That's how hard they are to kill. Wow, there are there are greater demons in Palladium Fantasy with lower armor ratings than uh, zombies in Dead Rain. That's uh, that's kind of scary, actually. Well, think about it. If you're shooting at a zombie and you're not aiming specifically for the head, the only thing that'll really damage them is if you hit bone, a supportive item, or maybe muscle. But to rip a, a muscle completely out, you know, okay, so now they're crawling at you instead of walking at you. Which or is good. One arm is just hanging limp. Yeah. The uh, the uh, the nice thing is, uh, I mean, most a number one, most characters are going to be able to outrun your basic zombie. So that's always nice. But they're tireless. <laughs> number one. Uh, number two. Uh, some of them, they're mutant. They're mutant types. Like everything that isn't a sloucher is basically considered a mutant, except for the crawlers, which are basically half a zombie <laughs> you know it's a zombie without legs uh their uh the crawlers are really slow uh they're gonna like drop off uh, drop on you from you know the top of a of a semi or you know from crawl out grab your ankle from underneath the semi or whatever right uh, so they're like definitely environmental hazards uh but a regular sloucher they're kind of slow i mean if they're we're not talking world war z movie uh zombies here uh but they do have those in Dead Rain as well. They're called fast attacks. But they're interesting in that all they do is they'll rush you and trip you and start moaning. And they make sure you stay down so that the others can get you. So zombies have teamwork. That's kind of frightening, actually. Well, um, that's the zombie moan. It's the call. The call. When they start going, it's that roar that calls every zombie within a mile to hone in on it. Yeah, right. Yeah, mean, it's not consciously teamwork. Just some act in particular ways. Uh, and what's interesting is like pattern zombies are like they're just kind of like a, they're definitely an environmental feature because they are literally human beings who, while they're dead, are kind of trapped in repeating this pattern of behavior, like going into the Walmart, cruising around the produce aisle, and then walking out with a shopping cart, and they just do that. Eternally. Sitting in front of a computer, typing away on yeah broken screen yeah. and a keyboard yeah. that's you know missing. Wow. Okay. That's so. So they have a good variety of zombies. That's that's thirty-seven neat. different types. Although I will say, I think about twenty of them are just dumb. Well, every idea can't be a home run, but I mean, thirty-seven different types of zombies. Somebody was definitely thinking zombies through more than I usually do for a campaign. Um, that's 
pretty cool, actually, I think, you know, variety is good and it, it, it keeps people from all just falling into that hole. Oh, hey, look, there's a zombie. Great. Grab the sniper rifle, do a cop shot to its head, move on. Yeah. And, you know, that's a I mean, like the whole like the situation I set up, it is totally manageable. And yes, you can win through firepower if you do it smart. Like if you go, OK, well, let's find a quiet, quick way to go to a neighboring, uh, you know, elevated spot that's very defensible or isn't accessible. Uh, you go to there, you get your your supplies up there so that you can quietly, as quietly as you can, uh, pick them off. And then you go in with the full knowledge that even though you shot the 12 ones that were visible, there's probably another dozen that, you know, they're dormant or, you know, they're, they're sleeping underneath the desk or they're crawlers. So you couldn't even see them because they're, there's only half of a zombie. So they're stuffed between this and that. Yeah. Awesome. So no matter what, there's always a way for a GM to put a zombie in your face if they want to. Yep. Like yeah. like I said, sounds like a game that generates TPKs on a regular basis. I mean, it sounds completely awesome. I'd love to play it, but I would have to go in expecting my character to die at some point. I just have to hope it was a good death. A good death is one to hope for. Uh, James is for I think his first play experience was at a con with me, and he had a natural athlete, as I recall. Like a black track runner dude from a, the local yeah, college. That was him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he went in, and the whole, and it was a one shot, and the whole setup was get from basically get across campus to the to the residential hall, which was like ten stories. Get to the top of there because that's where Hilo is going to be landing in an hour, or I think maybe it was three hours because we had three hour time slots for our games. <laughs> and it was like so real time, in real time. You have three hours to roleplay your way, getting across the campus, evading the zombies, and a college campus. So there's plenty. Uh, up 10 floors of uh, residential halls, because clearly there's no power, uh, to the roof where a helicopter will evacuate you. Uh, and I think we lost a couple people. Uh, James's character lost an arm, but uh, most most people were, managed to get to the, uh, I think that there was like 10 players, and I think eight made it. Cool. That actually sounds kind of fun. Eight and seven eighths of the characters made it. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was a. It, it was, but it lends it very much lends itself to one shots. Um, uh, the hell followed source book. It's just a lot of stuff, like a crap ton of new zombies, some new character classes, which are pretty cool, uh, like drone can like drone guys and stuff like that. Uh, some environmental stuff and some more government conspiracies and enclaves and stuff like that. So there's some good stuff in there, but a lot of dumb zombie types. Uh, but the most recent book, In the Face of Death, is actually like a GM's guide to Dead Rain. It's like, here's how you run it as a campaign long term. And so you won't just be doing one shots because Dead Rain is very much geared towards running one shot, like con games that are fun and you know, your characters are disposable, but how the hell do you have motivation and goals and everything in a post-apocalyptic world where everything around every corner is trying to kill you? So it, it's, yeah, it's, it's real easy to do the left for dead style where you're get from a to B and just set it in different things. But yeah, setting up the, the campaign style is a bit harder with all the zombies because you have to you know pick your start date 
are you going to be mobile? Are you going to have a colony? Or are you, you know, just is this a hunt for resources? Is there a conflict, an ongoing conflict? Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. Yeah. And, and so, like, that's a very good analogy, actually. Uh, a con game would be like playing a game of Left for Dead. It's literally point A to point B. You know, you, you have to survive getting from point A to point B, and that point B is your goal. Uh, whether it's escape or this or whatever, uh, whereas a, a campaign, that's like trying to take on script writing for an entire season of The Walking Dead. And it's hard. It can be pretty hard because you because the dead, you know, the zombies aren't they're not it's not role playing material. There's there's no motivation there. They're just an environmental hazard. It's, and there's no role playing to be had in a hurricane. I mean, it's the human elements that make unless shit they're complicated. <laughs> yeah, unless yeah, unless uh like uh you have a half dead among you or something or maybe you No, I that was more of a comment on your one of your other campaigns where oh, it was yeah. get out of Key West when a hurricane yeah, yeah. coming. Yeah, escape from Key West, the and hurricane. Zombies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, literal double environmental hazards. No, no, no. You did not throw a hurricane at people in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, it was totally fun. Uh, I had a battle mat, everything laid out for it uh, with a little matchbook, uh, matchbox uh, Hot Wheels representing like cars strewn about Key West. You had to basically get out of this neighborhood in Key West to one of the bridges within this time frame before the hurricane hit or you're all dead. And Yeah, while there are zombies. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So, okay. I have heard something about elevator death and dead rain. I mean, <laughs> what, can someone please explain the story so I get the joke finally? Take the climbing skill. Everybody take the climbing skill. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll let James tell this story. This is the very first one on EU, though. We had – the whole party was in the elevator. You know, we were in the upper floor, and the power went out, and what was it? We were making our way down. We came across a locked door, and there was a survivor on the other side. Who didn't believe that we weren't dead or that we were alive and was firing at us, wouldn't let us through the door. We couldn't make it to the stairwell. So our only other option was to try and make it down the elevator shaft. Well, we had one person with a climbing skill or two. So we strung a rope. One person climbed down. And then, then we tried to do uh, assisted climb down for all the people who didn't have the climbing skill or whatnot. And uh, two or three poor rolls later, the whole party fell on the one person who made it down safely. Yeah, and it was a uh, it was a daisy chain, and they were at the. I started them off. I started off the entire campaign with them in a penthouse suite uh, of a, a skyscraper hotel in Chicago. Uh, I even had a zo- zombie Obama in there at one point. Uh, with just for shits and giggles because they were in the presidential suite. Uh, and so, and this was way back in the day. So it was, it was, it was timely. And, uh, yeah, they, they get to the, uh, they get to the elevator shaft and they're like, fuck, we got to make our way down. I forgot about the guy in the, ele- in the, uh, stairwell that I was, I always forgot. Hey, why does they take the elevator shaft? Anyway, so, uh, yeah, and they basically daisy clusterfucked themselves. The person at the top failed their role and failed to catch themselves. Because climbing, you always get that second roll to catch yourself. He felt that too, crit fail, and smacked the next person down, and it just daisy chained, and every one of them fell to the bottom of the elevator shaft. However many stories that was, and they all pasted them. Wow, that 
okay, if you got to die, that's actually a pretty epic way to generate a TPK. But I got to ask, no one voted in favor of just killing the poor survivor on the other side of the stairwell? We couldn't get through the door. He had it barred and bolted and was shooting through at us, and we had already taken two, two characters had taken wounds off of that. So we were just trying to circumvent it. And we had one character make it down safely. And then the rest of us were beginning our climb down. And then, yeah, the guy, guy at the top failed his role and started to fall, <laughs> which hit the rest of us on the way down. <laughs> and then we landed on top of the person who was waiting at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I, I definitely have to try Dead Rain the next time it comes up. That That sounds like just pure awesomeness to me. I bet everybody was cracking up. Well, okay, I'm sure somebody was upset, but I'm sure the rest of us, the rest of them saw the humor in it. Oh, yeah. No, well, in that case, I am looking to start a Dead Rain game. I keep trying to see if there's interest on uh, the chats, but uh, apparently I keep picking the wrong time to call people out because the chats tend to ebb and flow in their popularity. I will say well, I, I established the EP menu already, so there is a buy-in. So there's no free characters coming in. Uh, but a Survivor's just one EP, so that's pretty inexpensive. But the cooler you go, you know, the, the more badass, I guess you'd say, uh, the more badass and or munchkin level, the more expensive, up to 10 EP for, for half living. So just keep that in mind. Uh, it might be better to test drive a, a Survivor uh, and see how you like the game. Yeah, but see, that's where the benefits of being a patron come in. I get to pick off that nice diamond menu, and it makes everything so much cheaper. There's that. All righty. Uh, so this should probably be a good place to conclude things. Uh, folks, um, if you're listening, uh, yeah, these are uh, have both been added to the uh, board, uh, so they might become active uh, gaming forums in the near future. As James said, he's looking for people. Um and um, other than that, gentlemen, it has been fun, and I will talk to you another night. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I will talk to you all later. Cool beats. Have a good night. This has been Radio Free Murktown, a WMRK production. Contact us at RadioFreeMurktown at gmail.com and support Radio Free Murktown on Patreon for as little as $2 per month. Visit us on the web at ExplorersUnlimited.com for more information.